if you'd remain standing, please, for the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to be reading verses 1 through 6. This is the Word of God. I urge you to pay attention. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. Let's pray. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would indeed be at work to give us understanding that we may embrace the exhortation from your word, that indeed it may be the pattern of our lives. And we pray for the one who preaches. We ask, Lord, that you would guide Guard my thoughts. Guide my words. Let them give glory to our Lord Jesus Christ and let them feed these your sheep. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know about all preachers. I like it when there's a therefore that begins a section. It allows for a little review. But that's important. The theme of this letter that we're looking at, I believe, is how to survive in a culture that hates Christ. How do we do that? Peter addresses this several times in the course of the, of the letter as he goes through it. You remember in chapter 1, he told them to gird up the loins of their minds. In other words, it's get your minds ready to think and to think clearly and deeply. Be sober in your thinking. And as a result... Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is being brought to you, that has been brought to you in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the issue is, when the crisis comes that you start enduring persecution, it's going to be too late if you haven't been looking to him already. If Christ is a stranger to you when things are easy, I would suggest that you will be a stranger to him when you come before that judgment seat. Peter keeps returning to this idea that we need to be ready for that by practicing and living this Christian faith, this Christian walk, this following of Christ. 
And we need to do it before the pressure comes. And what we understand from that, following Christ is going to cost us. If you're truly following after him, it will cost you some friendships, perhaps. It might cost you something in your career. It might cost you some in even your pursuits of pleasure, in your ease, because you're going to be focused on God's will and God's direction and how God might be glorified in what we are doing. The question I think that Peter would have us ask ourselves is, am I ready to face that crisis of persecution? Am I ready to face the cost of following Christ? So we have this therefore, since therefore, or therefore, since Christ suffered. I actually think that's probably a little better order of that. But let's go back and get an understanding of what is he basing this on? He's saying, therefore, because of stuff, of things that have already been laid out. Let's go back and look in chapter 3 just briefly as, so we can, I want to pull up some things so that we have a real sense of the direction that we're going in. You go back to verse 10 of chapter 3. Whoever desires to love life and see good days... Let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know, if you want to sum, summarize this, how does the Holy Spirit direct us? The first thing he says is, watch your mouth. Watch what you say. And you know what? If I have to watch what I'm going to say, I had better already be dealing with what I think. I had a rather interesting awakening when I uh, came back from serving with the Marines in Desert Storm. Uh, spending six months with the Marines, you your hearing becomes adjusted to some things. And believe me, I would correct the Marines, when I would walk up to them, they would say, oh, sorry, chaplain, we didn't see you. I, I'd tell them, don't worry about me, worry about my boss. Uh, but I, there was a movie I was watching on the plane. I thought, boy, this is great. My family's going to love that movie. It was, I think it was Kindergarten Cop with our former governor. On the plane, I thought it was great. When I sat down with my family, all of a sudden, and had been home for a month or two, I became aware of some of the language in it. Wow. And that was the effect. I've been listening to the, these guys. I have to watch. We have to watch what we think. We have to watch what we listen to, don't we? If you hang around with people who are always complaining, who are always vitriolic, that's going to seep into our thinking. So watch. if you're going to watch what you say, then you need to start with watch what you listen to, the ear gate, as Brother Bunyan would say. He says, turn from evil, do good, be do-gooders. It's okay. Do what is good before God. Seek peace with others 
And that is not in isolation. In other words, I can be at peace with this person if I never see him. That's not seeking peace. Seeking peace is the way that God did it with you. He sent his son so that we could be reconciled. We could be in relationship with him. So we are to seek peace. And what does Peter say? He says, God is listening then to your prayers. Boy, if you've got a bad attitude about something, please do start praying. But realize it's only as you're praying about your heart then that God is going to start listening to you. Okay. Then he goes on, and, and I'll try to be brief in going through this, but, but you know, but do you want to see good days? We've got a new year. Do you want good days? Here's a key, very easy key to start on that. Then as your conscience before the Lord, you look at verses 13 through 16, uh, just picking up on verse, well, I, I need to emphasize something here. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ, or set apart Christ as the Lord, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Yeah, what he's getting at here. He says, don't be afraid of man, but actually cultivate a fear of God, an awe of God. Think about this. If God is the master and commander of our lives, of our future, and he's in control of what is going to go on with you and I, yet somebody gets in your face to threaten you and to make you back down on your convictions. Who's going to be able, who's going to do you the harm? If God's in control, even this antagonist is under his control. And you can rest in the one who holds your eternal life to work it out. This is the, the mindset that we need to have. When we tremble before those who bluster against us, who call us extremists and many other things, it's because we lose sight of the Lord. A and we struggle. And sometimes when you've had a particularly hard day with people challenging, you start to wonder about God's, you know, you, if you're thinking about God, why is he letting me go through this? Doesn't he know what so-and-so is doing? Now, we need, we need to have our focus upon him and understand something. Our motive for all of this is not so that we can have peace and be comfortable. If that is your motive for trusting God, then it is a very subjective thing. Your answer to the question, what is man's chief end, is to enjoy God. 
and maybe glorify him forever. We put ourselves first, but you see, if our goal, if our thrust, and this is important for us as you go into a new year, I I like the New Year's thing. Granted, it's a calendar that man has made up, but it gives us an ending point for what's past and a starting point to, to try again, to start again trusting. If we go into that new year, if we go into that new day with the desire just to get by and to keep peace and to stay comfortable instead of to glorify God, then God's going to put the fire to our feet. So that our focus, if if you're his child, so that your focus will come back to believing him and seeking to glorify him. And we can face this then if our hearts are occupied with him, are filled with him. And you see, this makes sense then. If we're seeking to worship God in his temple, with your body, your life being that temple. That's, that's what Paul's talking about, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, what he's getting at is that how we live is it to be the expression of our worship of God, not just this building for a couple of hours on a Sunday, but all of the rest of the time away from here. And that's where we struggle. That's where I struggle. But our focus is to be upon that victorious, that ascended Savior who is risen, who is making intercession for us, who holds us secure. Next thread for the therefore. You see what I'm building up to? Since therefore Christ suffered. But you see, the therefore is based upon where we are in him. As you look at verses 17 and following, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Can you accept that? That it may be God's will for you to suffer for being a Christian, for seeking to be faithful, for speaking with gentleness and grace to others about Christ. Down in chapter 4, verse 19, he brings this back. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Now, there's three things to pick up in verse 18 that are important for us as we come to this therefore. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. There's three things that that are implied or underscored here. First is substitution. He died once, the just one for the unjust, for you and me substitution and his atonement. Second, we see it is a penal death. It is a punishment that he suffered. It's death because of sin. 
But the third thing, and this is important, it was a successful death. It was that once not ever to be done again. Hebrews chapter 9, uh, verses 24 through 28. And let us now consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. That's chapter 10. It's good. Read it later. Chapter 9. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. That's why the Roman Catholic Mass is heresy. It's wrong. I shouldn't get distracted. But he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He triumphed over death. He triumphed over the grave. And the resurrection of Christ is, if you will, the bill of receipt. It is the proof that it was accepted. You remember his word on the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished. What God had required for your sin was completed on that cross. It's done. Because of that, you and I are no longer held in bondage of fear about death. Somebody threatening to take your life because of your faith shouldn't make you fear. Now, I'll, I'll let whoever you then call as a pastor when that time comes, deal with some of the finer details in this part here. Uh, when it says that he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, uh, let me just give a summary. What is not, he didn't preach or proclaim the gospel to fallen angels. He didn't proclaim it to anybody in purgatory. There is no such place. That's a fabrication, a fiction, again, in Roman Catholicism. It, it, he, he did not descend into hell after his death to pay anything. He suffered God's wrath. He suffered hell on the cross. He descended to the place of the dead. If anything, he was proclaiming the victory that he accomplished. What we, what we come to, though, is that we have an appeal then, you and I, of a good conscience, a clear conscience, because of the resurrection. Without Christ's death, his resurrection, 
the imputation of his righteousness. God imputing, applying his righteousness to us and, uh, and our guilt. Without that, then baptism would be worthless. That's what it, that comes down to. And then what you see in verse 22, he reigns. So Peter then comes to this point, therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, you see, he's brought us to, he's shown us the security we've got, why we need not fear. He shows us what God has done for us. He then says, arm yourselves with the same attitude or way of thinking. In a sense, there's a twofold comparison here. Christ isn't merely an example to us in the area of, of mortifying our flesh, but by his Holy Spirit, we're made conformable to his death. We crucify, we put to death the flesh that desires in us by the Holy Spirit. That's why I wanted that second hymn we say, to be conscious that it is God's Holy Spirit in us that we put to get death those desires of the flesh. And therefore, we are to arm ourselves with the same purpose, with the same attitude, the same way of thinking as Christ as he was obedient to the Father. You might remember Paul's parallel teaching about putting on the whole armor of God. And I believe I did get to preach from 1 Peter chapter 2. You might remember my precious and the preciousness of Christ to us. And one of the points that I made there is that you cannot put on the armor of God. You cannot put on the new man unless you've taken off the old clothing of the flesh of the devil, the animosity, the enmity, all of those things. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against ruler, the rulers of the darkness, of this age against spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. In a sense, Peter uses this same language in preparing for our preparing for warfare, who has gone into the heavens and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And in being conformed to Christ then, one of the things that means is that we seek to have the mind of Christ. We seek to be thinking as Christ. Now, Peter says here, and, and we cannot make a mistake, he says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Understand, he's not saying that any of us any of you particularly, are without sin. John makes that point. That's why we had that earlier. In fact, 
If anyone here says, well, I no longer sin, you're a liar. That's what the Holy Spirit says in Scripture. Truth's not in you. And you know it too. Uh, even if you try to convince yourself otherwise. I've, I've met people like that. And, well, anyways. What happens is that that desire to sin starts to die in us. We... The, the direction of our life is no longer to live for the human passions, but to live for Christ. That's what the dying to sin is. That's what the ceasing to sin. We're turning away from that, and that's the struggle that you and I face, sometimes moment by moment. We do struggle with that. Let's be honest. In Romans chapter 6, I didn't put my marker in it this time. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. This is what is set before us. To walk in this newness of life, we are renewed to a spiritual life. And there's at least two facets to this attitude. The first one is, I'm a new creation in Christ. I am no longer in bondage to sin. You don't have to sin. Before you were born again, you didn't have a choice. Your free will could only choose what you were able to do. And before Christ, without Christ, we are not able to choose to follow God because we're dead in our sin. But you all know that. The second facet is that I am set free from the shame of my past. I'm not tied to it. I'm not on that path. So I'm going to focus on my new path. My past is forgiven. You should not identify yourself, even if Satan is accusing you, by your past if you've been washed in Christ, if you've been made clean. In a sense, this arming with an attitude, this arming with a way of thinking, it's sort of like a fire blanket. It smothers the flames. It puts it out. Um, in a sense, you and I have been spiritually transplanted. When we moved out here to California, our front yard has a bank, and we planted roses there. That front yard also has a camphor tree. Camphor trees have an extensive root structure. They are a dirty tree. They are a good shade tree. 
those poor roses suffered. They were The light was blocked out of them. They struggled for getting anything out of the soil because it was, it was a very complex root structure, and they always had dirt dumped on them, trash from the tree dumped on them year-round. That's what the world's like for us. If you're going to live in the world, if you're going to live in the darkness, you're going to have all of the world's dirt dumped on you. And if you're going to persist in it, you're going to be choked out by the things that are there. What's motivating you? What motivates you? He, he says here, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. In the flesh, is it the lust of the flesh? I, I like the definition of lust being the desire to sin. That broadens what we lust for. A desire to sin, or is it a desire to follow Christ? See, this is a question that you need to answer for yourselves. You need to answer that this morning. What's driving me? Notice what Peter says. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Do you get what he's saying? What you've already done in following your desires to sin is enough. For the rest of the time that God has given you, live it for him. And that, that includes not just the actions, but it includes the whole mindset behind it. And, and I won't go into the gr great detail, but you see what he says. What Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. Then he, he says here, with respect to this, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Maybe some of you have gone through that. People that you work with or relatives, and they get upset because you're not going to indulge with them. And let me just broaden that a little bit. Sometimes maybe it's you telling them, you know, this is gossip, but I don't want to hear it. We should be doing that. Gossiping, the tongue, is as vile as any of the sexual sins. You can destroy people just as fast. Gossips are put right in there with the perverted, if you go back to Romans 1. That's a sobering thought. And it's not just doing it, it's refusing to listen to it. But he says they're surprised and you don't want to do this with them. They'll malign you. 
and they'll call you a goody-goody. They'll, they'll accuse you of being, you think you're holier than we, I am. They'll call you names like a right-wing extremist, a terrorist, because you don't want your children chemically ruined. You don't want to see babies murdered, and they call us extremists. But Peter says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And you know, that's part of the reason why they will despise you. Because you remind them that we have to give an account to God. That that time is coming. You know, every morning, of course, we could start it at midnight, but let's say every morning when you get up, God has given you and I 24 more hours to live for him, to do his will for his glory. You cannot extend that time. And it's okay to sleep for part of that time. Because honestly, probably we can serve God better if our bodies have received the right amount of sleep. If you stay up watching something and then have to get up early, you're probably not going to be ready. You're not going to be ready to live for the Lord. Uh, you used to have a saying when people would come in late for church, well, if you do Saturday Night Live, you're going to be doing Sunday morning dead. And that really does apply. What Peter seems to be saying is don't waste your time. Apart from just anything being sinful or wrong or contrary to God's will, Peter's saying, why are you wasting your time doing those things you, you once did? Why are you wasting your time serving yourself? In Matthew 5, Jesus says, verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, you and I cannot live the Christian life without identifying with Jesus. And Peter's point, as it has been right from the very beginning, is that if you identify yourself with Christ, don't be surprised if the world is going to treat you like they treated Christ at that time. Don't be surprised if the cross falls across your path. John Piper says the Great Commission cannot be fulfilled without suffering. Without the people of God, 
identifying themselves with Jesus and his cross. And you see the consequences that as you and I identify with Christ, as we live that identity of being in Christ, and the Word dwelling in us richly, in fact, the Word dwelling in us so richly that it flows from our lips easily and appropriately. But what it does is it reminds them that they will come before God. I, I read a devotional. I decided I was going to share that. The guy is Franz Bacher, Baker, B-A-K-E-R. So I guess he's Dutch. Um, and the, the devotional, I believe, was the everlasting word, but he makes this, these comments about New Year's Day. He says, we've been permitted to have a New Year's Day. That is also another day, a new day. Make haste for your life's sake. This year might be the year of your death. If things in your life on New Year's Day are just as they were in the old year, then it is necessary that this year become new for you. Blessed are you when you realize your guilt is increasing daily, and on your own you can never pay off anything. Blessed are you when you cannot find days of rest until this new day has become your share. It will only be a new, blessed year when the sinner comes to the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. The next day, behold, the surety enters the life of him whose debt has become so heavy. What a joyful matter that God himself prepared such a day. The Lamb of God was not obliged to give himself to our slaughter. Christ gave himself out of free love for sinners. The sinner did not deserve this grace. He had not even asked for this. So this next day makes up for all the other days. When we have experienced this day, the guilt of all the other days is covered. If we do not experience the forgiveness offered by Christ's sacrifice, then the guilt is still open and not one day shall be forgotten in the judgment of God. The Bible makes it very simple as we look at this, that we either believe in Christ and live in Christ, or we die in our sin. There's only two kinds of people in the world. There are those who will stand at the judgment seat in Christ and those who will stand there in their sins. And the Bible makes it simple. This is, this is the way we will come before God. And Peter's calling people to think about that time of accountability when they will stand before Christ, but not in their sins, in faith. 
are you armed with this attitude? Maybe I should back up. I'll ask you one of the questions from Evangelism Explosion. If you were to die this day, and it could happen, do you know for a certainty that you would go to heaven? And can I add to that, that you would stand before Christ forgiven? If you don't know that for a certainty, then you need to speak to Madurai so that we can help you think through that. If you have that certainty, are you armed with this attitude that Peter describes? To have the mind of Christ, to be living, to be identifying with him? And you see, this attitude of the Christian life is what then builds our character, our trusting and living before God. So I encourage you, look upon Christ. The best preparation you can make for what is ahead is to be in him now instead of in your sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, I pray that I have not made that which should be clear and simple complicated. We pray, Father, that for all of those struggles that we have, and we do try to keep ourselves comfortable, Rather than denying ourselves comfort, we would just focus on Christ, be filled with Christ, filled with your word. Father, we confess we struggle with this. But we want our struggle to come from our walk in Christ, not our walk in the flesh. So, Father, let your Holy Spirit indeed do work in us that we might have that attitude that we might be equipped with it joyfully equipped abiding in Christ and Father for those who may be listening that don't know or are not willing to submit to Christ. We pray that you would make them miserable. Give them no peace, no fulfillment in their sin, so that they might turn and be cleansed by believing on Christ. We do pray these things in our Lord Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now, for our last hymn, it's a familiar hymn, but I'm going to suggest something. As you stand, and we should stand and sing this one, sing it if 
you can sing it as your own prayer. If you can't do that, stand anyways, but don't sing. We'll pray for you. But don't don't mouth words you don't mean. Don't make prayers, petitions that you don't sincerely desire. And I urge you that for your own sakes. Do you stand, please?